Thanks for listening to Bezier. Bezier is sponsored by Superhigh, online courses for code, design, and product management. Superhigh's courses can be done in your own home at your own pace. I've been a Superhigh student since 2017 and have gone from being a designer feeling alienated by the should designers code discourse to building my own sites and now even selling web design services. My favorite part of Superhigh is the community of learners. As a Superhigh student, you're added to this huge community of all the other Superhigh students. It's filled with inspiring people from all over the world in all different places in their careers. I've gotten work there, I found podcast guests there, and even made in-person friends, all because of Superhigh. It's easy to get started. There's an online code editor. You can do it on your own schedule. There's built-in community of learners. It's got everything you need. Start learning to code, design, or product manage today at superhigh.com. I'd like to have guests introduce themselves. Could you share a bit about yourself? Hi there. My name is Claire Sianca. I'm an illustrator currently living in Los Angeles. I've also previously lived in San Francisco as well as Brooklyn, New York. I'm currently working for a product company based out of San Francisco, but you know, with all the COVID craziness, working remotely from LA with the intent to stay here for the foreseeable future. But before jumping into product illustration, I have several years experience working for agencies in the advertising space with a focus on more like entertainment clients. And I'm a pretty big fan of anything digital entertainment related. So like video games, TV, film, animation biased for sure. I'll watch pretty much anything that's animated been really into getting back into taking walks every day with quarantine, which now that I'm in Los Angeles, appreciating the weather has been really, really nice. And also much love to my two cats at home, Ray and Luna. And yeah, I feel like that's about it. Could you also share your pronouns? Yes, um, my pronouns are she, her. I know from talking with you that you've you recently moved to LA, correct? Yes, yeah. I've I actually um Full disclosure, I lived in Los Angeles for um, about three years um, before moving to SF for a year. And I just moved back about like, I think I'm coming up on three weeks now, which is pretty wild. But yeah, I'm actually in the same neighborhood that I was before also. So it feels like a much needed sense of familiarity for for this year. I won't judge either way. I'm just kind of curious because I've heard a lot of people are leaving the Bay Area for LA right now because a lot of their jobs just went remote. Is that the case for you or are you just, it's just coincidence and you're moving back to LA? Yeah, no, that is pretty much exactly the case for me. And, you know, I, I have no regrets at all about moving to the Bay for a year. Um, that move was like pretty much one-to-one with a new job that I got in working with um, the product company that I'm at now. And I learned so much and I've been continuing to learn. It's been an amazing experience, but um, I don't know. I like, I feel like for me, SF is just one of those cities that I really enjoy visiting and being in like in chunks of time, but it's like not, for whatever reason, my favorite place, like to be on the day to day. I like, it's just one of those feelings you get, you know, when you like go to a new city for the first time, you can kind of just tell like, oh yeah, like either I really like it here or like, I don't know. And then over time it just kind of solidifies either way. So I, for 
one reason or another, definitely feel like LA is more my vibe. Yes. Yeah. Go where your vibe is. I like mm-hmm. that. You shared a little bit about your work history, but maybe could you run us through like a abridged version of your sort of background? How did you get into illustration? Did you study it? Maybe if you want to talk about some of the clients that you had in entertainment, just because looking at your website, there are some bigger names. So I did actually study illustration in college. I have my BFA in illustration um, with a minor in French. I grew up in upstate New York, and I also went to school there at the Rochester Institute of Technology. So I spent the majority of my upbringing in pretty small town um, in upstate New York and kind of just went with the flow. Like I, growing up, always was kind of, no pun intended, but drawn to (laughs) illustration. And I guess in a broader sense of the word, just like drawing and painting and just kind of any sort of uh, physical, traditional media. And once I got into school, it just seemed like the next logical steps to keep pursuing that. Um, I had originally kind of toyed with the idea of maybe going in more of a visual design or more digitally focused discipline. But in the end, illustration ended up just being my quote unquote passion for the the time that I was in school. And then again, um, once I graduated, I kind of was just in a full job application mode. And I happened to land a freelance job uh, at an agency in Brooklyn. And that was what first brought me to my first project with uh, Adult Swim for Rick and Morty, which was kind of just like, I don't want to say a dream job because I kind of hate using that phrase, but it absolutely was, um, especially coming right out of school. I hadn't, I don't think I'd been out for more than like four or five months when I got the call initially. And I was like, okay, let me just drop everything and do whatever I can to jump on this um, at full force. And although I was initially brought on as a freelancer to work on that project, I ended up getting a full-time offer from them. And long story short, I was working with them in Brooklyn for about a year. And then they actually opened an office in LA and needed an illustrator. And that's really what kicked me over into um, like really focusing on entertainment clients. So in addition to doing a bunch of kind of retainer work for Rick and Morty for Adult Swim. Um, I have a couple of other projects that I've done for Netflix or other larger um, Cartoon Network projects. But yeah, so then living in LA, it was really just kind of a pinch myself. I must be this like can't be real kind of mentality, like having grown up in such a small town. I feel like I went to school kind of with the intent of like, maybe I'll go somewhere really far away eventually. Like LA just kind of always spoke to me in that sense that it just seemed to really align with a lot of um, my interests even going back to my childhood. And it's funny, I feel like I didn't really have a super concrete plan of like, okay, here's my checklist of how I'm going to get to LA. It just kind of progressively naturally happened. So that was really, really awesome and interesting. Yeah, I'm really curious when you say that you were an illustrator for Rick and Morty, are you talking about doing work on the show, like animating for the episodes? Are you doing marketing work in the advertising side? Ah, yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, I did not work directly on the show in really any capacity, but I did the the majority of my work with them um, 
was in a marketing sense, mostly promotional work for upcoming seasons. I want to say, so the first project that I ever worked on for them was called the Rick and Morty Ricksterverse. Um, It was essentially this like point and click adventure game that we built fully in Instagram and yeah, that was, I actually, sadly, the, the agency that I worked for on it at the time is, uh, has since like disbanded. So there's, I believe my, one of my copywriters who I worked on it with just told me the other day, he was like, oh, I noticed, I think they're finally like starting to take it down. Cause like no one's managing the, the Instagram accounts anymore. So that was kind of a bummer, but you know, it, it is what it is. But, um, but yeah, so that that was a huge, huge undertaking. I'm sure there's bits and pieces of it that are still alive out in the wild somewhere in the the dredges of the internet. But yeah, that so that project, I believe if I'm remembering correctly, was um, meant as promotional work for either season two or season three. I want to say it was season two. And at that point in time, I think the show was still kind of like getting its footing, like the first season had been really successful, but um, they were uh, still kind of trying to gain traction with more fans. And then from the Ristiverse was actually like a huge success. And that kind of landed um, my team and I a spot as like Adult Swim's go-to agency for um, promotional work for Rick and Morty for probably the next two years or so, I would say after that. That entailed a number of different digital promotional marketing projects um, that came out of that. And again, to kind of just promote like new episodes coming out or new seasons or, or anything like that. So it kind of ranged from there from things like building microsites to kind of keep fans entertained between seasons. There was this actually in-person event that we hosted that was basically like a photo booth um, that you could like take your picture with Rick in prison and the photos would get uploaded to this like online database for social shares and stuff, which is pretty cool. We also actually that I'm thinking about it, eventually did a um, an animated short for, I believe it was around like the Thanksgiving holidays. And we actually like fully animated it in house. We kind of built it from the ground up. And when it was launched, it was definitely treated as like a canon piece of content. Um, it was really, really awesome to just sort of see it kind of blow up on YouTube organically and just like tons and tons of fan engagement. It was it was really awesome. And I, I feel super lucky to have gotten the opportunity to work on it. Oh, that's such a cool experience. Yeah, it was uh, Rick and Morty always will have a special place in my heart. <laughs> and now it's kind of like they, I mean, since um, they've gotten the sign on to go forth with like a number of seasons now, and you know, it's, it's um, really, really, really solidified its place as a really popular show on Adult Swim. They kind I think from what I understand, they have a ton of um, interest now in like agencies as well as uh, freelancers and other artists who are constantly kind of churning out um, really, really awesome promotional work, which is really cool to see. Like a lot of the stuff that um, I did kind of directly emulated the um, show, the artwork style of the show, but I've seen so many like wacky things that are just like, oh, let's... Um, there was this one microsite that was like, oh, let's blow Morty's head up to this like 
really, really detailed 3D render and the microsite is just like, you can point and click on it and drag around his face. And it made these like really, really ridiculous, like squishy sounds. It was really, really satisfying and weird. <laughs> That's fun that you can take like a property like that and, and play with it and, and pun intended, like stretch it a little bit to yes. other properties. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So a little bit more about what you're doing now. So you work at a, a product company based in San Francisco and yes. you are illustrating there as well. Yes, correct. Yes. And so what's your, what's your team look like? Like what's the company size? And I guess now your team is, I'm assuming pretty distributed, but you know, were you working from home before and how do you collaborate with your teammates now that it's coronavirus? Our, as far as, team and company size goes. Um, so the company I'm at currently is Flexport, which is uh, a startup, but we are unique in that we're actually a freight forwarder, which is essentially um, everyone on my team always use that, uses the anecdote that we're like a travel agent for cargo. Um, so it's basically like facilitating and fulfilling logistics requirements for like, let's say you're, um, I don't know, a company who's business operates in the US, but you get all of your um, products and materials fabricated overseas. So once your um, goods have been produced, they need to exit the factory and get shipped around the world to wherever you have storefronts or wherever you like have long term storage for your products, stuff like that. So essentially, what Flexport does is provides a digital software for um, clients to use uh, in order to schedule shipments um, as well as like fulfill different legs of the journey. If they want to ship via air or ocean, if it's just like a trucking need that they have. So it's kind of honestly the exact opposite in a lot of ways of what I was doing before. So our, our company size is, I believe we're almost at 2000 sitting somewhere around like the 1750 mark, I want to say. And our headquarters is in San Francisco. Um, but we have several offices globally as well. As far as the product design team goes, we are sitting around, I want to say 25. Um, we just recently hired a couple new people. So I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but um, let's go with 25. <laughs> um, so for me, I'm actually the only product illustrator on the team. So that's also been like a huge shift, both in, I guess, both in responsibilities, as well as just how I collaborate on a day-to-day -day basis with my teammates, everything from, you know, showing them around my working files all the way to like just the words that I use when I'm an illustration. It's been a really interesting challenge. And honestly, like not to sound dramatic, but when I was first starting, I was like, I almost had this kind of identity crisis in the sense of like, oh my gosh, like, am I actually an illustrator? Or is this like something else or like, this just feels so different from what I was doing before. Like, wow, this is, this is really wild. Um, and you know, I'm, I actually just passed my one year work anniversary there. So I, I definitely feel a much more settled down and, and, um, comfortable, but there's still like so, so much, um, that I don't know both about product and, uh, the freight industry at large. So the one, um, really awesome thing 
about um, my current role is just the endless opportunities to learn. But um, going back to like the coronavirus stuff. So previously, the majority of the design team was located in San Francisco, um, fully commuting to an office. Uh, we're pretty flexible with like, oh, like, hey, it's Wednesday. I don't have any meetings. I'm just going to work from home today. But um, for the majority, I would say people were pretty consistently coming to the office on a day to day basis. So um, going to the working from home shift was initially very, very different. Um, and I feel like it did take us a while to sort of um, at both acclimate to that and kind of, you know, realize that, okay, wow, yeah, this is going to be a thing for a long time. Um, and fortunately, you know, in that so much of um, actually, I mean, like 100% pretty much of our work is digital. So we're quite lucky in the sense that like working from home, honestly, has been like, the environment is very different, but the tools and like day to day structure is mostly the same, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, it does make sense. I'm curious what those tools and day to day structure look like. What's your yeah, what's your day to day look like uh, in general? It definitely has changed since working from home, which is like, uh, really interesting to reflect on. But I feel like I still kind of my like working hours do rotate still around like the 9.30 to 5.30 mark. Some days are like a little bit later. Some days are a little bit earlier. Um, but I actually, I've grown to really, really like that flexibility. Um, I'm typically not a morning person. So having like no commute whatsoever anymore is like a godsend. And I am kind of like, when we when it is time to go back to working in person, I will absolutely still be an advocate for working from home. So um, definitely, that's been a huge plus for me. Um, but getting into the actual day to day, um, typically, I'll kind of take first couple hours to just sort of get settled and figure out a plan of attack for the day. Um, some days are very meeting heavy for me, others are not. Um, so if I'm on a meeting heavy day, I'll definitely make sure that I've like, you know, gotten something to eat, like gotten my coffee, all that good stuff. Otherwise, it'll be like three o'clock and I haven't eaten anything and I'll just be really crabby. But um, so on a non meeting heavy day, though, I will typically take maybe an hour or so in the morning just to sort of do some kind of warm up activity, whether it's like drawing related or even just pulling out like an article that I've been meaning to read for a while or um, some other like art and design related um, activity just to sort of get me like motivated and, and awake for the day. And then after that, I'll, depending on how many projects I've got going on, I'll just sort of like make a little checklist and um, I have kind of an ongoing to-do list at work. So I'll just sort of like um, every week kind of shift priorities and see like, oh, okay, like I can check this off and move that project to done and get started on this thing and all that good stuff. And then pretty much it'll go on like that for several hours into the afternoon. And then something um, I think that I mentioned earlier was that I've been also trying to 
take walks like every day, which initially in quarantine, I was really bad about. Like I would definitely go a couple of days without really stepping outside that much at all, which is really depressing now that I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> but um, that's actually one huge benefit of being in LA now is that I do live on the West side. So taking walks over to the beach um, has been like a godsend for getting both fresh air and just calming down a bit. And I think, you know, especially now that we're so many months into the pandemic and working from home conditions, it is kind of getting difficult to keep in mind that like, okay, this like isn't quote unquote normal. Like it's still just as valid now if you're having feelings of anxiety or any sort of like mental health stressors, like it's just still just as valid now as it was in the beginning. Um, and that's just been something I've trying, been trying to keep in check too um, and not be too hard on myself in that way. Yeah, definitely don't be hard on yourself. We are, it's not just working from home. It's working from home in a pandemic is something that I've yes. seen go around quite a bit as advice. And I think it's good advice. And, uh, totally. Yeah. And good for you for getting that routine of leaving the house. I, I worked remotely for about three years, just, just recently ending that by working in an office, but yeah, it's one of those things that if you don't, think about it and plan it that you sometimes you'll go a day and you're like I didn't leave the house today so I'm mm-hmm. glad that, <laughs> that you've got that built in and, and are doing that especially being in LA I think it's a little easier than San Francisco at least in my experience having lived in the Bay Area yes absolutely although um I technically I I did live in the Bay Area but I was pretty far out from the city so especially um while working from home it was it kind of felt like I was in this weird, like, no man's land of like, yes, technically, I'm like living and working in SF, but also not I I lived in a um, kind of a suburb, I would say, yeah, it was definitely a suburb um, called Walnut Creek, which is like even further um, east than Oakland. So really far out there. It was honestly so hot all the time, because it was so far inland that like, going outside was never as desirable yeah. as, um, as, it, as it could be. <laughs> What's one piece of advice for someone that's just starting out and, and wants to be an illustrator? Especially when you're just starting out, I feel like there tends to be a lot of pressure put on creative individuals to do as much as you can, as fast as you can. And, you know, like from my experience, I feel like I can remember, um, still being in school, maybe like my junior, senior year and kind of feeling like, ah, like I haven't landed an internship yet. Like, oh my gosh, like I'm seeing all these people on the internet, like doing all this cool stuff and like, oh my gosh, like making like all this stuff happen. Um, And I would say as much as possible, don't get bogged down by that at all. Um, There's, you know, we live in a time now that is like so how do I explain this? I just feel like it's so much easier to sort of um, get ahead and and work on yourself um, and take the time to really, really do that and figure out even outside of your profession, like what you're passionate about and, you know, don't miss out on like life opportunities because they inevitably will inform your creative mind and your 
your creative thinking. And I think it's really important to, you know, like, don't be lazy, but like, definitely take the time to tell yourself that like, it's going to be okay. If you like, if you skip out on like working in your sketchbook one day, it's like, going to be fine, you'll get through it. So yeah, just take your time and go with the flow and remember to breathe. I think that's solid advice for anybody. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> Difficult to, to remember. I'm definitely guilty of, um, of not following that at times, but trying to be better about it for sure. What about for someone that's more senior that's been illustrating for a while? What advice do you have for them? As someone who's, for someone who's more senior, I guess I would say don't be afraid to revisit your like artistic and creative values or, or even just like your own values on a personal level. Um, I, I actually just recently started doing um, this kind of like digital, it's not really career coaching, but it's almost like emotional health. It's like they kind of target it as like some weird in between of therapy and like, um, career coaching, I would say, at least that's what it feels like. And I recently did an exercise with my coach that was all around like shaping my core values and how I can better figure out like goals that I want to set for myself that will really be be meaningful and align with them that way. And initially, I was kind of like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, this will be fun, I guess. Um, but it actually like really surprised me how much like, even just looking at the values that I ended up with, um, I was like, wow, yeah, like, not only do these really make sense for me, but I can I feel like there is definitely a shift and a sense of growth from like, let's say if I did this, like three or four years ago, I, I think it would have been would have been largely different. So I think, you know, as you get older, it's really important to kind of um, keep yourself in check and don't lock yourself into any one thing. I think that's really good advice, too. And it sounds like it sounds like you're working with some sort of like a life coach, maybe. And yeah, yes, I think that's the term. <laughs> I think that I've, I've friend who became a, a life coach. And um, it's a really interesting sort of profession. And it's not something I knew a lot about. So I think if people find themselves sort of stuck, or not sure where they want to be going, or, or just sort of need that like professional, but also personal personal lean on that investigating mm-hmm. in like a life coach is like a really great piece of advice in itself I think yes absolutely and I think you know for me it's kind of been something that for whatever reason I've always sort of struggled with like you know whether it's from the angle of like oh well like maybe it's like not worth the money or like I don't need to invest in it or like you know how how much of a difference can it make like I can just tackle this on my own but Um, at least in my experience so far, it really, really is great to kind of have like a third party hold you accountable and, you know, really finding someone who you mesh well with on a personal level. And yeah, it's, it's been really, really awesome, especially like in the current times that we're into, it's been uh, really nice to have any kind of like grounding force is, is just um, super helpful. Yeah, I bet I really do. What are your tips for fighting and resisting white supremacy and patriarchy and ableism and queerphobia and sexism and all the other bigotries in our creative communities? I mean, it's like 
definitely such a, it seems like it's such an ongoing battle. Um, and again, not to be a broken record, but like, especially in light of everything that's been happening this year around the Black Lives Matter movement and other things that have come to light with the political climate and uh, so many things. But one thing that um, I've been trying to take to heart um, coming out of um, the BLM movement, like uh, really gaining a ton of traction over the past few months Um Something that I learned was, you know, it's it's really great to be there and support um, your friends who are either Black or some other marginalized community. Um, but at the same time, it's really not them who you need to be, like, going to, like, on a regular basis of, like, either checking in on or, like, getting help from. So I've been kind of really trying my hardest to redirect that energy towards talking to all of my white friends, all of my friends who I feel like don't have um, that like diverse of a circle and just kind of, you know, keeping that in check as much as possible, especially in your um, creative network and um, professional life too. I, I think it's really important to kind of just take a step back and and take stock of like, okay, like, what does my direct circle of friends look like? And like, one one step removed from that, like, uh, what does that next layer look like? And at work, like, are there opportunities that I could be reaching out and um, making connections with people who I might not normally or like that have like a unique perspective or are in some way just really different from from yourself. Um, I think in a lot of ways for some people, it's really hard to, you know, get that sense of either empathy or just like really understand like the, the systemic nature of these issues. And I think in any way possible as, as close as you can make them to yourself by having like, more and more diverse relationships directly with people and not kind of just having it be this like large entity that you're not really in contact with. I think the more, the more direct you can, you can be, the more it will kind of inspire humility and and advocacy and action. Yeah. I think that's really great advice. And I, I like your point. It it reminds me of, of something that's come up on this show a couple times at, at least is this like it's the responsibility of the people of the oppressor group to do the dismantling yes. it's you know it's up to white people to dismantle white supremacy it's up to men to dismantle the patriarchy like every single facet of like oppressor group and the the oppressed the the people that that bear the brunt of it it's sort of like it's not, it, there's a power imbalance. And so the people with power have to fix it. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Who is a person that our listeners should know about? Honestly, someone who really comes to mind for me. And uh, again, going back to my um, fandom of all things animation, especially cartoons. Um, I would say if you're not familiar with her, definitely familiarize yourself with Rebecca Sugar, who is the creator of Steven Universe on Cartoon Network. Um, She's actually, I want to say, the first woman to create and like 
helm a, a series on Cartoon Network. Um, so that, and honestly, she's just been a huge advocate for um, LGBTQIA plus representation in both artistic entertainment and especially in um, children's entertainment too, which I think is just so important. And yeah, it's, her work around advocating for that is really, really admirable. And, you know, also Steven Universe is an absolutely amazing show and I definitely recommend people checking it out for sure. And that's a great recommendation. I, I, to be honest, have never seen Steven Universe and was not familiar with Rebecca Sugar. So I will check out her work. Oh, yay. Yeah, definitely. And let me know what you think. I will happily talk about cartoons with anybody so would love to chat with you about it more it's a great open offer for our audience to talk about cartoons <laughs> yes yes absolutely any listeners out there if you ever want to talk cartoons hit me up <laughs> uh what book do you think everybody should read i actually recently read a short story i've actually i've kind of been a long time listener of uh this podcast called LeVar Burton Reads. Are you familiar with that one? I am. Yeah. LeVar Burton did Reading Rainbow, right? Yes. Yes. So um, LeVar Burton Reads is kind of, I think he kind of has described it as like Reading Rainbow for adults because it's pretty much like every episode will just be him reading, um, like I think almost always a nonfiction um, short story and episodes range from like, I don't know, somewhere around 30 to 45 minutes long and they the stories typically have some kind of like fantasy or sci-fi connotation to them but oftentimes um they're they they almost kind of tackle subjects in a, the way that like shows like black mirror does where it's almost like this there's a, there's a term for like this genre, but it's like an alternate reality kind of like, oh, like everything seems like very real world, but something is just kind of like off and, and played with and explored. And it's really interesting. But um, going off of that, a few weeks ago, um, I listened to his episode about Recitatif by Toni Morrison. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I could be wrong. Um, and it was a really, really interesting um, read and I I think he described it as a like literary experiment in the sense that um, I don't want to give anything away but it's basically um, a story about race without really ever giving any contextual clues as to who is what race if that makes any sense so by the end of the story you're kind of forced into this self-reflection of like how like how your own bias is like shaped by by your perspective and how like uh social conditioning has kind of like had an effect on that it was and yeah it was I it was amazing I've like read it a few times now and I yeah I couldn't recommend it more it was awesome well, I love this recommendation because it's a recommendation for a Toni Morrison book and for a LeVar Burton podcast. So I, I love that. And I will put <laughs> yes. both of them in the show notes. Two for one. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. I believe everyone should get paid for their time. So what we do is we share the profits of this show with all of the guests of our show. But other than that, are there any ways that our listeners can support you? Honestly, I I feel incredibly fortunate 
right now to still have a full-time job. Um, knock on wood, don't want to jinx that. Um, <laughs> so I would say, you know, uh, I definitely would appreciate a follow on social media, but more than anything, I would encourage people to direct their energy towards any kind of um, social justice activism and humanitarian aid that that's um, that comes to mind for them. I feel like, you know, 2020 has just kind of been a shitstorm of so much stuff that there's endless opportunities to not only um, donate if you're able to, but um, to just sort of self-educate and continuously, you know, keep keep the information coming in and, and staying staying aware. Um, one plug that I'll make: uh, there was I can't I want to say this was a few. Oh gosh, actually, it might have been back in June. Now that I'm thinking about it, time is just like such a weird, weird thing right now. Um, but there was, uh, this black queer town hall, I believe it was called, um, that two of my favorite drag, drag queens, um, Bob the drag queen and peppermint, um, hosted and put on. And it was, I want to say a three day event where they just sort of, you know, as the title suggests, they had a really, really awesome, series of roundtable discussions with a really diverse array of guests. And I believe it's all on YouTube. So um, definitely recommend checking that out. If you're not able to donate, I think educating is definitely um, a worthwhile task to commit to. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, For the people that I I agree with you that like, definitely people should donate. And if maybe you're not sure where we can link some resources to donate to in the show notes. But if you can't donate, I like your prompt here to sort of donate your time and and educate. A lot of the times with these YouTube uh, videos from organizations, the if they have YouTube ads turned on, they can generate some fun donations that way as well. Yes. So hopefully that's yep. the case here. And um, that could be a way for people to donate as well. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So you said, um, you know, give you a follow on social. Where is the best place for people to find you? Uh, Yes, I would say um, Instagram is probably the easiest place to track me down. Um, You can follow me at Claire A. Sianka. Um, I am on Twitter as well, but um, not, (laughs) I'm sure Zach, you can vouch for me here. I'm not the most active (laughs) Twitter user. Um, so I, I'll probably, uh, be responsive on Twitter, but definitely, um, more active on Instagram. Definitely. And, um, uh, feel free to check out my work too at clairesianka.com. Okay. Those will be in the show notes. So you can friend Claire on Instagram and and then ask her about cartoons. (laughs) Yes. Yes, please <laughs> send all the cartoon questions. <laughs> Claire, thank you so much for being on Bessier. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with the audience before we wrap up? I don't think so. Just that thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity and it was it was really awesome to chat with you. Take care. Bezier is a design interview podcast amplifying voices in our creative communities that don't already have large platforms and aren't working at big five tech companies. We focus on finding guests from all over the world and representative of as many of us as possible. If you have a great guest idea for Bezier, please email us at inquiry at zoct.studio. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at Z-A-C-H-T dot studio.